Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lori Houston's News for the Heart is dedicated to helping you give a voice to your own soul. Our hearts have the power to free us from pain and the struggles that keep us from awakening to our true essence. Join Lori now as we delve into our heart and soul to find the path that will open us to the possibilities and lead us to the life we love to live. And good afternoon. This is News for the Heart. And today, always one of my favorite days, I have Tom Campbell with me. Tom is a nuclear physicist. Uh, you can find out so much information about Tom. He's written a, trilogies, a trilogy of books called My Big Toe and uh, Toe Standing for Theory of Everything. He has a YouTube station that has literally hundreds of YouTubes and thousands and thousands of hours. He has a forum. You can go to his website, mybigtoe.com. Uh, I highly recommend it because he has a lot of information and it's always in line with what we talk about. I know that Tom comes from a science background, but we really, when it comes to what we do, we make it from the heart. So I always love having you, Tom. So welcome. Well, thank you, Laurie. It's always uh, fun to be here and chat with you. We always have nice uh, conversations, and I hope they're, they're as uh, much fun for uh, your listeners as they uh, are for us. I, I think they are. Sorry, we have we have a visitor that's... <laughs> I see a little bit of fur creeping up there in the... Uh, there he yeah, is. Uh, kind of slinking through the picture. Exactly. Yes. Get your tail down. <laughs> Uh, must have been the love part that came up that brought him <laughs> over. So let's look at your book that you are writing and how we've kind of, I don't know, what is it that is instinctual, which I think is very interesting, and how we've kind of moved away from what we really, I mean, we've obviously evolved to some degree, but not a lot. <laughs> in the history of our lives, like in the history of the world of human population. Let's talk about that a bit. Okay. Um, yeah, I, this is actually very interesting because it's a, you know, instincts evolve over a very long period of time. You know, it takes them many thousands, if not millions of years to hardwire attitudes into our DNA. So, Instincts are long-term things, but they're also things that, that uh, help us be successful in our environment. In other words, let's say the, the, uh, the flight or fight instinct, okay? When something is, is uh, scary comes up, then you've got instincts to either fight if you think that's the best route or get away, you know, flight run, get, get away from that situation if you think that's the best flight. But these are instincts, and we have them because of our environment. It helps us survive. It helps us get along and is successful in our environment. All right, well, now, we as male and female have a lot of instincts. When you get to the 
to the fundamentals of evolution, which in our um, case, in our you know, biological evolution, the two big criteria there are procreation and survival. Okay, because if you don't procreate and you don't survive, then that's the end of your species. You're gone. So if, you, if you're going to continue your species, then survival and procreation are the two big things. So we have a lot of our instincts are wrapped around survival and procreation because that's what's important. Now, our environment in the past, say, 300 years has changed dramatically. So we have all the instincts that have developed for millions of years, many millions of years, to help us deal with uh, the environment that we had. And we had a very similar environment right up to three or 400 years ago. Environment was pretty much the same for all of that time. I mean, things changed, yes. We, uh, we uh, ended up with cities and, and uh, you know, differential of labor specialties, you know, we changed it from the way we were as, uh, as cave people, you know, but still the fundamentals of the environment weren't that much different until just recent times. And even if we say the last thousand years, well, a thousand years out of many millions is an eye blink. Right. It's just a little bit of time, you see. So we have these instincts, male and female, that has to do with our survival as a species, and obviously procreation, strong instincts there. Right. And now the environment's changed. Some of the old instincts that we had that were very useful are now beginning to get in the way and cause us some difficulties. So that makes it a kind of an interesting subject. So it's not just, okay, we have these instincts, and if we try to live our life crosswise to our instincts, in other words, out of phase or, or uh, not in consonance with our instincts, then we have problems. It creates stress. It creates anxiety. We don't feel like we're doing it right. Life isn't right. Situations aren't right. And that, that uh, is just a feeling. Even if we can't put a, a name to it, the not rightness of things is palatable. So you have to keep in mind and understand your instincts and live with them as much as possible, but realize that things are different now. We don't have the same thing that shaped those instincts going on in our culture right now. So in some ways we have to uh, do other than what our instincts tell us. Right. But we need to do that in a gradual, gentle way, not in a, you know, pushing the opposite direction sort of thing, because that'll just make us neurotic because our instincts are very strong. And uh, it's, if you try to oppose them, you'll just uh, make yourself nuts. So that's kind of the way it is. So we think about male-female instincts and what was required for the human being, for the, for the human genetics, what was required there in order for us to survive and continue on. And you'll see that, well, it was a very violent place Life didn't last very long. Our lifespan then was about 35 years. <laughs> You've got a happy cat. Oh, yeah. I heard him purring there. He's, uh, 
and then something happened and he yes. said he had to leave. Yes, he's been trying to find a way to get out, yes. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, we had a we had a very hard a very hard existence then. Okay? And other species took other routes right. towards survival and did other had other instincts. So if we look at the you know, anthropology, if we look at the, at the, how we, as opposed to other species, particularly other, uh, um, you know, primate species, we'll see there's variation. There's quite a bit of variation there. Well, we picked a route that differentiated the skills between male and female, whereas the Neanderthal, it seems, were more egalitarian. In other words, egalitarian in the sense that everybody did everything. It's not that they specialized in doing some things uh, as opposed to others. Whereas in the human line, we specialized. Female had more of the female things to do. Men had more of the male things to do. And everybody didn't try to do everything, you see. And they found out that was more efficient. That was more survivable because here we are. And Neanderthals aren't anywhere around. You see, they didn't make it. Everybody doing everything is not as efficient. That's what Henry Ford discovered when he discovered the assembly line. You see, it's the same thing. You're going to build a car, and you have everybody doing everything. You know, everybody can work on the motor. Everybody can, you know, work on the, the transmission. Everybody can do everything. And whichever, whichever place needs some work, well, anybody can go in there and do that work. Well, that sounds nice. That's an egalitarian way of building cars, but it sure is slow. It's much better if you have people who specialize in things because they'll get much better at it. They'll get much better than just the people who know how. They'll be fast. They'll be accurate. They'll be much better because that's what they do. That's all they do, and they're very good at it, you see. So specialization has some advantages and it had advantages for us as a species some two million years ago. So the resources were scarce. The females tended to take care of the children. They had the babies and cared for the babies. There was no instant formula to take off the shelf. All the babies were breastfed. They all had to be breastfed until they were able to you know, get along on their own. And... Uh, there wasn't the kind of support systems that we have now to make that process easier. It wasn't easy. And there was no real understanding about, um, you know, the, the getting pregnant process or whatever. So ladies were pregnant almost all the time or lactating or, you know, uh, taking care of children. And they only lived, the adults only lived about 35 or so. So... A woman's entire life, she was, you know, Breeding. birthing, you know, nursing <laughs> and raising children. And to that, uh, to that job, that's what she specialized in. And as a, as a species, we needed that because that's the survival and procreation. If you don't take care of those babies and get them to grow up to where they can reproduce, well, your species is going to disappear. You're going to become extinct. So we had the ladies, that was their specialty. That's what they did. And because that then made it difficult, if they were really good at that, 
then they weren't so good at defending the perimeter, you know, uh, fighting off, uh, you know, the saber-toothed tigers uh, or the other band of humans that wanted to take their, their nice cushy cave that they had or that sort of thing. So the men did that. So the men were the providers, went out and found the food and brought it back. They were also the protectors. That was their specialty. So the women got smaller, the men got bigger. They're not all the same size. The women didn't need as much of the food that way. So more, less food could go further because they didn't have to be big enough to go fight tigers and, and uh, you know, wrestle a, a deer to the ground. That wasn't their job. So we evolved to that, that uh, separation of duties, if you say. That was more survivable. And there's, there's some people who feel that Neanderthals didn't make it for the very reason that they were egalitarian. Hmm. And that wasn't efficient enough to survive. And there were times when the human race was close to maybe not surviving. You know, there, it wasn't always an easy thing. Now, of course, we've totally overrun, you know, the entire planet and every nook and, yeah. and corner of it. But it wasn't like that then. You know, the human race could have snuffed out too. It needed to get efficient to survive. Right. So we can look at that. And well, when it comes then to sexual interaction, we see that a woman is looking for a man to take care of her and provide for her. That's important to her. That's the key thing. That's what the men bring, you know, that's what her man brings to her is protection and provisioning. And the guy is looking for a female who will carry his genetic material through to the next generation. In other words, bear his children and take care of those children so that they survive long enough to procreate themselves and pass that gene on. So everybody wants, I mean, the, the, the big push in, in uh, survival and procreation it can boil down to getting your genetic material to go on into the future. Okay. That's, that's the idea. Well, for the male and female to then form this pair bond made sense, you see. It helped that genetic material of both of them to get passed into the future. Without the man, well, the female could have babies, but who would take care of them when she couldn't go out and fight the battles and bring in the food and have the babies and take care of them. She couldn't do that, you see. So... If it were, if we didn't have the pair bond between man and woman, then yes, you could have everything being communal. All the men took care of all the women and all the women took care of all the men. But that didn't assure that a particular man or a particular woman's genetic material was going to survive. It was kind of more or less, less you know, a chance. And if you happen to be a little different than your tribe, you might be ostracized. You may be out on the on the edge of it and not uh, you know not get the help and the support you needed. Whereas if you are pair bonded with an individual and the two of you have agreed to you do your share, they'll do their share, and it will you know it'll work out. Then that's what that's why we are the way we are. That's why we have these attitudes. Mm -hmm. That's why men look at women and they see you know. <laughs> I guess I should, you know, I should uh, maybe not say this, but they see a sex object. They see someone who would bear their children. They see someone, you know, that uh, will produce children for them that will carry their genetics forward. Women look at men and they see somebody 
who has the wherewithal, the intelligence and the uh, strength and the position and whatever to take care of them. So they see somebody who's successful as far as being able to provision and take care of them. It's a different way that we look at each other because that's kind of the way it is, you see. So now for a, for a man, he has an advantage if he can impregnate lots of women, then even though he's not taking care of all of those babies to make sure that they will then be able to reproduce themselves, he's raising his statistical chance of getting his genetics moved through into the future, you see? So he still kind of looks around and for him to cheat, if you will, on that situation, well, you can see that genetically and, and from a, a, a survival and procreation, that's not a bad, you know, that's not a bad deal for him. So he constantly may be looking, you see, but on the other hand, if he, he needs this woman to work with him to make sure that at least some of that genetic material of his makes it through, because those other ones are just left to chance. Well, they may survive, they may not survive. Those children don't have him or anybody else looking after them, then their probability of survival is not nearly as high as the ones, as the children that he looks after himself, that he makes sure those children get what they need, get provision, get protected, and grow up to be able to reproduce. So you see, his best bet is individually with a female, a pair bond. The outside bet that uh, is a lot more chancy is with anybody, you know, with any female who will, you know, who will accept him. Right. Okay. So Which may or may way. not be his. So that's yeah. the other thing. That's, Which that's may the may chancy. Not, yeah. Which right. may or may not be his. And he won't know and they won't know. Exactly. So nobody really cares. And in that case, nobody's really taking provisioning and protecting of that female that seriously either. Right. You see, so that's the problem. Now, on the female side, she wants a protector and, and someone to uh, you know get her the very best genetic material she can get. She wants that strong male who can take care of her and provision her. And that gives her then a higher quality genetic for her then to have that child. And her child will be stronger and better and will be more likely to survive because that man is strong and, and uh, capable. So that same genetic you know, material helps, helps her children survive. So she wants the very best genetic material she can get because then her children will be the very best genetic material that she can get. So she looks around and she sees some genetic material that um, looks like it's a little better than the one she has in her husband, then she has a, an instinct or she has an advantage if she goes ahead and mates with that guy too, because he's got this really, really good genetic material. He's very strong. He's powerful. He's uh, smart. He's, you know, all the things that you want your children to be. So then she also has this idea of cheating, if you will, because that would give her then some superior genetics and that would pass those on to her children who now have a higher probability of surviving. So you see both male and female have their instincts to be pair bonded because that's the secure bet and also to do other, you know, to uh, kind of spread themselves around a bit because that's the that's the chance. On an off chance, that may that may help. So that's just the way we're made. 
So, you know, women do find other men other than their husband attractive and they do feel attracted to them. And other and men do feel other women, except, you know, besides their wives, attractive and they're attracted to them. That's just the way we are. But we also find that pair bond to be the highest probability, the most sure and secure route to getting our genetic material moved through into the future, because those children have to survive, which means it not only does the female have to take care of them, but the male needs to protect them and resource the children as well as, as, well as they do their wife. So anyway, that's kind of the genetics that leads us to, to where we are and how we are. Right. So we've got a lot of things going on in our genetics. We do have uh, you know, this idea that, well, once you get married, then you're, you don't notice or see anybody else, you know, <laughs> the opposite sex. They just suddenly disappear, become irrelevant. That's not true. That's not right. the way we're, we're made. We are made, we are a lot more complex than that. Well, now here, here's the thing that is, that is also interesting here. So the, the lady takes care of the children, raises them and nurses them and whatever. And the husband takes care of the wife. So the, his wife, when I'm saying wife, whether there's a marriage or not, irrelevant. I mean, his, his woman, you know, his mate, whatever. So, um, his baby's mama. <laughs> yeah. So that, so that works that way and was very functional that way where they split these two areas of expertise. So the women were basically in charge of and the experts, the most competent when it came to the inside stuff, the relationship, the relationship stuff. Okay. So they're the, if you will, the, the dominant one in the inside stuff, what's going on in the family, who's doing what to who, what does little Johnny need? What does little Susie need? What do we have to get for them? How, how, how is this family going to work, you know, and, and what are the family's needs? And then she communicates these needs to her man, who's then in charge of the outside stuff. How am I going to get these things for my little Johnny and Susie and for my wife? And I need to keep them from starving because otherwise my Genetics don't get moved through if my family starves or if they get eaten by bears or whatever. So then he does his outside stuff. So he becomes dominant in the outside world. And that's right. the way it has worked for men and women. Now we get to 500 years ago, 300 years ago. And suddenly this thing that worked for us for a long time doesn't really apply as much as it used to. You see? We don't have to have this, the men go out and, and have to dominate the outside world and the women dominate the inside world. And with the two of us working together, we can survive. Now, the world out there isn't that dangerous. There aren't saber-toothed tigers hiding behind every bush. There aren't groups of, of other humans with spears trying to take our stuff. You see, we've gone beyond that, that day. We live more than 35 years. You see, we have time past the childbearing, childbearing ages to think about. It's a totally different world out there. So the women don't need the men to protect them nearly to the degree that they used to. You see, it's not that sort of thing. The women can now also go out in the world and do and deal successfully in that world, whereas before they could not. 
they had little babies hanging all over them. They had infants to breastfeed. They had, you know, all the other things to do that was their specialty. And now we've got daycares for that and instant formula and birth control and all sorts of other things have changed the dynamic between males and females. We don't live in that same world that we lived in for all of our existence as humans, except for this last eye blink of a thousand or 500 or 300 years when it got to be a kinder, gentler place. You see, now we're struggling with that change in our, in our roles. And that is, uh, that's kind of where we are in our current society. Men have to re, uh, it's not really rethink, but renegotiate, you see, their role in this because they're not just the protector and the provisioner anymore. Right. And the women have to rethink their roles in this because they're not constantly uh, uh, in baby care and feeding and having, you know, uh, that's not their only possibility. So everybody now has more choices than they used to have. You have to think of it not in terms of what was taken away, but what's offered new. What are the new choices that we all have? That, and how can we deal with that? And how can we also maintain an arrangement that is in consonance with our instincts. Because as we start living outside of our instincts, we get neurotic. <laughs> we get, you know, we get stressed. It doesn't work for us. We've got these instincts and you need to give those instincts their due. So even if we have to change lifestyles because the environment has changed, we have to realize who and what we are. We've got hardwired instincts, as people say, part of our wetware, you know, wet being the central nervous system and the brain and all the, all the, the damp organs that, that function in our nervous system. We have to work with that in a way that is not opposite or even cross, you know, cross current to it. We have to, to realize that that is where our happiness, that's where our fulfillment. See, what is happiness and the fulfillment and satisfaction? Those are deep feelings. Those aren't intellectual feelings. Oh, I, as a female, can go out and get a job and support myself, and I don't worry about tigers and things like that anymore, you see. But you still have the same needs, the same connections to have to satisfy, or you don't feel fulfilled. You don't feel happy. You don't feel satisfied because that's part of your genetic makeup. So you see, so it's not like we can just intellectually change things. Oh, okay. We see everything's changed now. So we'll just be different. Right. Well, you'll be different, but you're going to be neurotic. You're going to be unhappy. You're going to be not satisfied. Things aren't going to feel right to you because you've got instincts that tell you you're not doing it right. You're not being right. Okay. You're a, you're an executive. You're out there and you're a lady and you're, you know, an important position and you uh, have children, but somebody else takes care of them and raises them. You know, you don't because you're too busy. Uh, you have childcare and nannies and everything else. And uh, somebody else educates your children. Somebody else raises them. Somebody else feeds them. You know, you see them at night, say goodnight or whatever. And you're doing that and you should be happy, right? Because now you're a big success out there in the big world. And what do you feel? You feel miserable. 
you feel unhappy, you feel unfulfilled, you feel like you're not doing it right. And that's because you're crosswise to your instincts. So it's not that you can't do those things. It's that you have to decide, do you really want to do those things? What does it mean to be female? What does it mean to be a woman? And you have to take into consideration your wetware, your central nervous system, your instincts, you know, your, your, your DNA has to all be a part of that. Because if you run crosswise to it, you won't be satisfied, fulfilled, happy, have that sense of being secure, and that the world is all the way it, it feels right. You know, the world's the way it ought to be. You got and, that right feeling. And it's not, we're not saying that women can't go out and hold positions, but if you want to be really, truly happy at it, then you have to also meet those instinctual needs. So a woman that's in a cutthroat environment, it's not, it's not really meeting her needs to be that dominant, have that dominant masculine energy. It's more, would more meet her needs if she could do it from a feminine perspective and still be seen as um, productive in, in society's eyes, right? So it's... Absolutely. That's exactly right. So see, we have to kind of rearrange how the world works and the way we see things in order to, to do that. Yes, it's a good idea for women, if they want to, to go out in the workforce. It's also a good idea if women want to, to stay home and take care of children. Absolutely. You see, it's not like we should say, well, one of them is, is you have a real life if you go out and work in the world, and if all you do is take home, stay home with children, you don't really have a real life. You know, you're just, you know, that's not true. You know, staying home with those kids is as real a life and perhaps emotionally a richer, more satisfying life than anything else that you will do because that's the way your instincts work, you see. So if you decide that you want to go out into that, into that outside world and work out there, you're going to have to realize that either there's some things to give up, which are things that are very hard to give up from a genetic viewpoint. The things to deal with. In other words, there's there's some choices. There's some trades to make. If you're going to give this, you're going to give up that. And that these trades aren't just intellectual. You have to deal with yourself at the being level. And that's important. Now, on the other side, the culture needs to change right. such that we support women being women. In other words, being female in the workplace. You see, before that outside right. world was a man's world. That's where the men worked. That's where they, you know, brought home the bacon and they, you know, protected their family and so on. Okay, now the women moved into that world, but they moved into it as a man's world. Exactly. The business world's the man's world. That's his territory for the last, you know, two million years. And it's run in a way that, that uh, suits men to have run it because it was only men in it. All the women were at home with babies, pregnant and nursing and taking care of children. You see, they did, you know, again, lifespans were short. So now that's different. And we need to have, we need to have different attitudes toward the business. And, and it's really only out. been, I mean, really, it's only been since the world wars, right? That women right. ever they, even came into Right. We're, ter we're talking 40, 50 years. Exactly. Right. It's been like 50 years. That's not even an eye blink. You know, that's not even a twitch in the in the evolutionary scale. Right. Exactly. 
but the businesses need to realize that that high drive, high, uh, uh, what did you call it? Um, you know, where you have to be obsessed and give your soul up to the, you know, to your job. Nothing else can exist in your life but your job. That kind of a thing is not healthy for anybody. Well, yes. <laughs> you see, it's not healthy for anyone. And it's very incompatible with women being in the workplace and still being women, doing the things that the women need to do to get their sense of, right. of being, you see. So these are the changes that the society needs to make. You need to be able to, you know, the ladies <clears throat> will need to have an environment to work in that is amenable to them being women. In other words, they'll have to say, I have to take a week off because my children have the measles. Right. Well, that has to be okay. Now, on the other hand, if you take a week off because your children have the measles, then you're not going to be able to compete with the people who don't take the work that week off because they will have more experience, more practice, made more contacts in that week while you were gone. They will just do better in that world because they don't take a week off. Right. Okay. And they took your clients, so they, and, you know. And, and they, somebody had to take care exactly. of your clients during that time that you were home exactly. with, the, with the babies, right? They took care of your clients. So that's the thing. The ladies are going to have to realize that that's, they've got this double job to do in that sense. Yeah. And they have to juggle that. And if they're going to be happy, they're going to have to juggle that in a way that makes them feel okay about themselves. And that's different for every, for every woman. Because there's all now I'm just talking about what's under the fat part of the curve here. Yes. You know, I mean, there's all kinds of exceptions. Of you know, there's there's uh, there's men who have a lot of feminine traits. There's Absolutely. women who have a lot of masculine traits, and it goes all over. And I'm not talking about every single human that's ever lived. I'm just talking about the majority of people that fit under the fat part of the statistical curve. Okay, and as far as the work side goes, we need to have positions in the workforce that are suitable to people who have to take a week off now and then that's suitable to that kind of a lifestyle instead of having everything is if you work at this company you either sell your soul to the company or forget it and women can't do hours i mean if you have a family it's just not it's just not legitimate to work 12 14 hour days i mean you women just not only is it not good for anybody, <laughs> but, you know, exactly. it's, but we, I mean, as women, if, if our instincts are internal, it's about relationships. It's about, you know, exactly. we're in the workforce trying to create relationships around so that we can feel good because that's what we need. So if we're, you know, with our nose to the grind all the time and not doing what we, you know, what is instinctual to us, then we're not happy. Exactly. You're not happy. You're not fulfilled. And but the job demands it. Right. If you're going to if you're going to go up in this job, if you're going to be a success, then you need to work 12 and 14 hours a day because that's what your competition is doing. Exactly. They're working 12 and 14 hours a day. And if you're not going to. Oh, it's uh, yes, you had a family vacation planned, you and the kids. But hey, this important deal's coming up. And sorry, you're just going to have to yeah. drop that. Or sorry, you can't go to your child's ballet, you know, ballet <laughs> rehearsal or piano rehearsal because there's an important thing happening at work. Just drop that. If you're not willing to give up that relationship thing, which is your specialty and where your instincts lie, then 
you say it's a tough place to work. Now, we would like to say that the workplace should not be that demanding, right. you see. But as long as there are people who are going to compete for those jobs, and if the competition is going to work those hours and sell their soul to the company store, well, then you're going to have to realize that maybe that's really not what you want, to climb that ladder, to get that applause because you're the executive director of a corporation. Yeah, yay, she made it. <laughs> that may not be worth what you're giving up. So it's one of those things. So the workplace needs to become a little kinder and gentler and more um, understanding of women's needs, of women's values, of where, of how they need to integrate family and work and children and illnesses and all of that relationship things they need to integrate that in their work and that needs to be okay that needs to not be a great uh, you know detriment to them in their work and the you know it would be nice if the men were not so competitive too but they are that's right. the way they were right. you see for those millions of years they went out in the world and fought with each other to see who would bring home yes. that piece of bacon right. who would have their children and wife survive to pass their genetics on they are going to compete. That's what they've always done in that outside world. And that's what they're going to do. And if you're only going to work 10 hours a week and they can work 14, they're just going to be better at that job than you are. Right. And if they can focus and keep that nose to the grindstone for months and months at a time and not hardly come up for air and you can't, they're going to be better at that job than you are. And unfortunately, so, there's too many women that are trying to be that. But, exactly. I mean, and it, and, and it, they're paying a price. They're yeah. paying a price. But even the men aren't happy. I mean, I mean nobody's huh? really happy working 12, 14-hour days or even worse. I mean, you're not really happy at it. It's just it's your drive but, to be better. I would say that <laughs> that there are probably much fewer women that are happy at that than there are men yeah. who are happy at that. There are a fair number of men who are happy with that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that kind of competition, that kind of winning, right. that kind of, of right. uh, whatever, is part of what they do, and it's part of what they are. It's how they're wired and how they're wetware. You know, their DNA takes them in that route. It is and interesting. Yes, they don't want to. It's not good for them to neglect their family either. No. You see, but. That's the hard wiring. You see, we right. didn't have these cultural things that we have now didn't exist exactly. then. Then that wasn't the case. As yeah. far as bringing home the resources and protecting those, then it was a full time job. If that took you 24 hours a day to do that, that's what you did. If you had to stand watch at the mouth of the cave all day and all night and still go out and hunt the next day, that's what you did mm -hmm. because that's what the men did. You see, so you'll find a lot larger percentage of the men who are willing to do that, who even find that exhilarating to compete at that level. And, you know, of course, one might fault them for not being home as much as they should be. Right. And that's a price that they have to pay. You see, right. everybody has prices to pay. If they don't do that, then their children may be less successful because they weren't home to give the children some of the things they needed that only dad can give them you see so that's 
that's the price they pay on that side. And that eats at them as well, just like it eats at the ladies who can't come home to stay with a sick child and they really want to be there for that child. It's important to them, but the job keeps them away. So we need a kinder, gentler workplace for everyone. Yeah. But there's going to be differences between men and women. You know, guess what? Men and women are not the same. <laughs> we're very different creatures. We have different specializations, different things we're good at, and <clears throat> different areas of life that we're both dominant in. Females right. dominate the relationship space. Yeah. Men kind of blunder around in it. <laughs> Men dominate the outside world space, and women kind of blunder around in it. You see, it's just that's the way we are. And if we accept that, that we have this genetic proclivity that has a lot to do with us feeling like everything's right in the world, you know, that we feel satisfied with, with who and what and how we are, then we can, we can then try to work with this, this issue we now have in that our culture no longer fits the norm of the last Three million years when all this genetic wetware was was hardwired in our DNA, you see. So we have to now kind of find new ways of being and expressing ourselves and connecting. And at the same time, we have to still be what honoring our genetics and our instincts because if we don't, we'll be unhappy. Right. We won't be fulfilled. You see, because that's part of that, that emotion, that feeling of fulfillment is hardwired in there when we're meeting our instinctual needs. Yeah. We get that sense. And if we're not meeting our instinctual needs, we're not doing the part that we've been programmed for, then we feel like fish out of water. Yeah, we can do it, but it doesn't make us feel fulfilled and happy and secure and all that other stuff. It's not a question that we can do it, you know? But it's, there's the question of, do we want to do it? Right. And where, where is that happy medium to where we optimize, you know, our, ourselves? Right. Not optimize ourselves as far as how much money we make or, you know, how many days we stay at home. But we optimize ourselves as far as us of being. We're all different. So everybody has to come to that boundary of where do you have to find balance? Unfortunately, our culture is trying to push us sometimes further than what we want to go. Our culture sometimes tells us that staying home with the children is somehow inferior to going out and working. And that's not true. Right. It's just a different choice. So our culture is tending to push us in a way that makes us unhappy, makes us, you know, not work very well. You know, and, and from the other side, in the men's world, in that outside world where the men have always been dominant, they've had these changes that make them not so pleased with it. The workplace is no longer masculine. The workplace is no longer as rough, as straightforward, as blunt as it used to be. Now there's all this political correctness, the things you can't say, the things that you don't do, the way you need to behave that is totally different than the way it was before women infiltrated the workspace. And the men don't like it as much either. It's not the way they are in that workspace. Right. It's, it's different. Okay? It used to be that if somebody wasn't doing their job very well, you told them, you're not pulling your weight. You're not doing your job well. Look, you did this. You screwed up. 
It was tougher than that. Now you can't be tough like that. You can't go to people. You can't go to at least the women in the workplace and just be hard-nosed like that. Tell them that they just screwed up, they're not doing it right, da-da-da-da-da, because women don't deal with that the way men deal with that. It's a little harder for a woman to take that because she takes everything personally, whereas men don't, you see. So there's just differences like that. The whole workplace has changed. Men don't fit into it as well. Women don't fit into it as well. It's just not working too well for all of us, you see, until we make this turn and start to affect our instincts. Well, it's not a it's not going to be a fast turn. Uh, instincts take, a, say, take some time to change. In the meantime, we have to understand how, what makes us happy, what makes us feel fulfilled, and realize that the culture may be pushing us to do things that we really don't want to do down at that deep level of our instincts and understand that so that we can be happy with ourselves, we can be authentic and we can, you know, live our lives to their fullest and not feel pushed to go out in that world and work or feel pushed to not do that. Right. We don't want to feel pushed to stay home either. We want to feel this is what I want to do and this is what will fulfill me and not because the culture's talked me into it because this is what feels right for me. Right. And then let all the men and all the women do that, <laughs> what feels right to them, and let them understand the trades that they're going to have to make, what they're going to lose for what they're going to gain, and and then optimize that for themselves. And that's what we need to do. So the workplace needs to be more woman-friendly. Sure, you can take a week off because your children are sick. We understand that. A mother needs to be with her children when they're sick. Otherwise, she'll feel bad about herself. She won't feel good that she, her children are sick and there's somebody else there that's dealing with it and not her. Well, not all women, some women won't, but women, again, the fat part of the curve, you see. Yeah. And men need to feel like they're going out and protecting their family, bringing home the bacon and doing these things. And if that's not the case, then they need to deal with that gracefully. If that makes them feel insecure, like they're not doing it right and not happy with themselves, you see. So we all have to deal with those issues but most people have no idea they have instincts. Exactly. They have no idea that they've got all this wetware that tells them whether they're happy or not, whether they are being successful as an authentic person or whether they're only being successful as an intellectual person who says, oh, okay, I'm doing this, I'm, I'm really a success, but they really are unhappy because at a deeper level, they're not doing it right for who they are. You see, so that's my point. It's not that I want to tell anybody how what to do or how to do it. I'm not saying, women, you ought to stay home or, you know, whatever. That's not the point. The point is we have these instincts and we need to recognize them and live with them and not fight them. Because it's part of us being authentic. It's part of us it's part growing. It's who we are. Yes. Now, over the next thousand years, those instincts may change, right. you see, but we, you and I aren't going to change them. No. And we aren't going to change them that quickly. And at the, the quickest they could change would be over, you know, probably five or six generations. Right. Even if we could change them more quickly, we don't have to necessarily be a million years in changing things. It may be five or six generations. But we're not going to change them by making ourselves neurotic 
because we're making bad decisions that aren't us authentically at the being level. You see, right. once we start living out of our intellect, we're also living out of our ego. And we take that, that, that tough job or whatever, not out of our intellect and out of our ego. Right. And we're very unfulfilled as human beings right. and we're not authentic. And it's, it isn't worth the price. You see, if you lead with your ego and lead with your intellect, you're going to lose in the long run. That's not the winning hand. Right. You got to lead with who you are, your authentic being at the being level. That is the long-term winner. Even if in the short term, that seems like, you know, you're playing a lesser role. That's not the case. You're playing the optimal role. So that's really the, that's really the message. It's not what any individual ought to do. It's be authentic. Find yourself at the being level. Get rid of the fear and the ego and then do what feels right. And what will feel right is what can you do to help others? That's what will feel right. You see, Very nice. what can you do to help the children, to help, you know, the spouse, to help your parents, to help your neighbors, whatever. And that's what will feel right. And that's the way, to, that's the way to, to live, not with this intellect ego. Oh, I should grow up to become a doctor because that's right. high status and that's high income. Right. And right. that's what I want. You know, well, now your intellect is sending you after status and money as a career. And you may get the status and money, but that isn't necessarily who you are. And if it isn't, you won't be happy with it. It won't be something that makes you feel that the world is, is the way it is. You won't be full of joy as an individual. You can only do that by being authentic, by being you. And you are driven by instincts to a large extent around all those issues that have to do with procreation and survival. All right. Well... Wasn't it? <laughs> well, Tom, thank you very much. I'm sure we could go on and on and on about this topic because I think this is a big one. And I, you know, I invite people that if they have questions that they would like to be addressed, and I'm thinking one of them is about, you know, are we really actually monogamous? However, we're not going to get into that now because we're <laughs> we've gone over. So yeah, we're well. sort of monogamous, and we're sort of not. You know, monogamous well, is kind of like the main thing. And then there's this other stuff that goes right, on all the time. Too. Right, right. And then that has part of our, it's just, you know, we have cultural norms as well as instincts. You see, we have cultures that say this is wrong and this is right. Well, yes. Those, are, those yes. are cultural things. Right. That's the problem. Not necessarily primal, fundamental things. Right. And sometimes your cultural things are at odds with your instinctual things. Right. And when they are, then we create problems that really don't exist they're not real problems they're just okay we made up a bunch of rules now we're having trouble you know living by those rules because those rules are at odds with our instincts and now we've got a society that basically creates neurotic people because you know the rules of the society and the instincts of the people are at odds with each other and that's not healthy either so yes it's a you know it's a mixed. It's a mixed bag. It's not yes. that simple that no. we just are this way or are that way. We're we'll get like into this more at another time. I think we're gonna. Yeah. <laughs> but oh, we're really yes, running over your, we all oh, way over. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so. Well, this may have to be in a two-part uh, series. It will something. probably. Yeah, uh, but yes, yeah, so part, part two. 
I invite everybody to ask questions because this is how we can, you know, really delve into some of the stuff that you're interested in. So email either Tom and I um, about, you know, questions that you have for this show, questions about the topic that we've we've shared. Um, and, you know, as always, thank you, Tom. It's been a great <laughs> You're Great welcome. Show. <laughs> I, I feel like now I ought to apologize for taking so long. Oh, no. <laughs> but this, no. this, uh, these kinds of subjects, you Big. can't talk about them in, you know, like a half an hour or less. Yes. It just doesn't work. There's more understanding that you have to get to. Exactly. And, you know, if, if you only take a short time, then you leave so much unsaid and people listening to it have so much that they don't understand that it's almost like worse than not doing anything at all. Absolutely. You might as well just keep your mouth shut rather than <laughs> confuse people by telling them half the information. Right. So that's why it takes a little longer. And exactly. until people actually get it, then it's not really being useful to them. Absolutely. So I'm, I'm sorry to okay. overrun your deadline <laughs> by what, uh, double? You know, we're probably... Uh, yeah, I got two shows here. We can yeah, uh, do what we can do next month, right? We can, maybe we've done that already, but I don't think so. It all fits together. It does in a in a in a, in a way. Absolutely. But I guess a natural break would be the the love February thing could then have a boundary with the <laughs> uh, genetic thing, and that could be two different. Uh, it's true. Yeah, You're two good. different shows, even if they both come out in the same month. That's okay. right. Right. That's not so bad. Okay. Well, that's the, that's the penalty that you have to pay when you bring me on as a guest, is that Tom doesn't say anything in a, just a few words. That's right. That's, a, that's, your, that's your price to pay. All right. Well, you have been listening to News for the Heart with Tom Campbell. You can find out more about Tom. His trilogy of books are called My Big Toe, which is also his website, mybigtoe.com. He has a forum, he has a YouTube station, Google his name, and uh, it'll all come up. But uh, there's lots and lots of information, so take advantage of it. And we'll be back sometime next month. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Appreciate it. I I always enjoy it, Lori. (laughs) Thanks. Have a question for Lori and want to be on the next News from the Heart Show? Drop us a line via instant feedback at bmajor.org. News from the Heart is brought to you by Intuitive Soul and is produced by Major Radio for Clear Channel's iHeartRadio and bmajor.org. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.